Well, we're glad you chose to join us once again for West Meadows at Home. And we also hope and actually regularly pray that you're having a wonderful week in between this chance for us to come together each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, throughout this past week, I'm sure many of us have had a bit of a chance to emerge from a bit of our isolation, still staying safe, of course. As you can perhaps tell for myself, I was able to get a haircut, which I was very much looking forward to. And uh, I'm sure I'm not alone on that as well. Well, we find ourselves here today in the final two weeks of this walk through the book of Philippians. Many people in the comment section that you can use uh, during the sermon here, um, and also through the week, have just contacted me to say how much they love this book, and, and I deeply appreciate that. I, I love this book of the Bible as well, one of, my, one of my favorites. And if you're with us last week, you'll remember that we talked about how Paul is at a point in this letter where he's starting to kind of land the plane, and so he's encouraging his followers to press into a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that that's not just sort of a momentary thing, that they need, they need to press into this relationship until the time comes that they cross that finish line. And that finish line for him is defined as when they stand with him in eternity. And this idea that we can emphasize a lifelong journey, therefore, of discovering a deeper experience of Jesus Christ. Now, as we know in every relationship, there are things that we can do to advance or hinder our advancement in that relationship. One of my favorite books that I and Nadine have used in our own lives, but also in a lot of the marriage preparation and counseling that we do, is one you're probably familiar with called The Five Love Languages. And if you're not familiar with this book, the, the general idea of it is that there are five primary ways that people naturally express and receive love from others. And the five languages are this, and maybe you'll be able to identify yourself with one of these even as I just say them. Uh, one of them is, is words of affirmation. Uh, another is acts of service. There's receiving gifts, a quality time. And then the fifth one is physical touch. And as you think of yourself, or perhaps your spouse, and even your children, for that matter, that you know very well, you can probably know which one of those languages they tend to lean towards. But here's one of the things about these love languages. They're actually a double-edged sword. Because you see, once you know your own or another person's love language, you can use that as a resource to build them up. But at the same time, it is also the primary way that you can tear them down. Consider, for example, the, the love language of words of affirmation. Uh, if you go to your partner or, or uh, to one of your children and you just thank them and you show great gratitude towards them, per perhaps a uh, husband will go to his wife and say, honey, I just thank you so much for pushing through that hard time at work and, and how you contribute to the family in so many broad ways. I just love you and you're so meaningful to us. Something like that is going to build them up. But the alternative is also true, that, that if something goes wrong and your words to a words of affirmation person are, why can't you ever do anything right? Why did I marry you? Obviously, it will tear that person down. Well, the passage we're going to look at today in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, is a rich passage. And it's kind of a mixed bag of instructions that Paul starts to give to his church. And it's hard to find a common thread through them. And, and I'm not suggesting that he's going to find a common thread in these love languages as he begins to close this letter. But here's what I think we do find in this passage. Is we do find these final appeals, this last list of ways to build up 
our relationships, these ways to advance our relationship with Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there's also an opportunity to stifle our relationship with Jesus. And so let's have a look at this. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. So let's have a look at this very deep and rich section of Scripture. Now, Paul begins to accomplish this in a rather unusual way. He does so by addressing two ladies in this church in Philippi that are enraged in some sort of bitter conflict. Now, it's not very often Paul names people by name, but but he actually does that in this particular section. And we're not exactly sure what the problem was, but we do know this. We do know the problem was big enough that it reached Paul in prison in Rome. We also know that it is big enough that he addresses them by name, and so we can be sure that there's a good chance the whole church is kind of already aware of this. Paul's not letting the cat out of the bag here by naming these women. It's already kind of known and affecting the entire church as a whole. And so here's what he says beginning in verse 2. He says, I plead with you, Euodia. I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, referring to these two women, to help, and and to others in the church, sorry, to help these women since they have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now these women are likely leaders in the church. We can understand that from when he says that they have contended by his side for the cause of the gospel. That is a term that Paul uses at times, but it is reserved for those who are especially helpful for him in a a public uh, advancement of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that adds to the idea this is probably a public dispute. And people may even be taking sides in the church, and they're trying to fracture a little bit. And Paul chooses not to take sides here. He, He doesn't give any sense. He speaks to them equally. But he also seems confident. That with help, they'll be able to resolve this disagreement, whatever it may be that they're having. And he also subtly provides a suggestion on the way towards reconciliation. He encourages them in this phrase, you'll see in that passage. He encourages them to be of the same mind. And that's a term we've seen before. That's the term we've seen earlier in the book of Philippians. Actually, back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, you you may remember this part when when Paul was teaching on our relationships to one another, and he uses Jesus Christ as the example. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in uh, verse 2 there. He says, be like-minded. Same phrase again. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or out of vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, so he has this appeal to be like-minded and to, and to practice this loving unity within the church that he, he's been preaching throughout the entire book. And then as we know, if we continue in that passage from verse 6 on, he says that we should have the same attitude as Jesus Christ, and and he sets Jesus up as the example, the principles that need to be put into practice. And so here with these two women, as we enter into this section, it's almost like Paul feels he has this live example that everyone's aware of that he can use to kind of set the stage. Now we know that anytime we get into a group bigger than one, 
it's really just a matter of time until some sort of conflict tends to come up. Uh, whether that be in family, if it be with friends, uh, even in a carpool, <laughs> different commitments we have at, at work or perhaps at school with our neighbors, and yes, even in churches, these things tend to happen. As one pessimistic pastor published in the weekly bulletin humorously for his congregation, he says, wherever two or more of us are gathered, there's bound to eventually be an argument. <laughs> now that may be slightly overstated, but we all know that uneasy feeling that happens when there's conflict between us and somebody else. We know the damage it can cause. We know the divide in relationships it can cause, the, the erosion of trust that happens. When we have these arguments, one of the first casualties is quite often joy. And as the joy starts to erode, anxiety can start to, to well up. As we start thinking, well, well am I right in, in the stance I'm taking? Uh, what do others think about the stance I'm taking? And, and what is the outcome of this going to be? Am I going to be an outcast? Is it going to be on long-term damage? Will this ever be resolved? And it leads also to these angry, bitter thoughts in our inner lives. And here's what I want to let you know. You will not find those things on the list of virtues and the list of actions that will build up a relationship with anybody, especially a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul continues in this passage here by giving us instructions on these very things. You see, these are the themes to which Paul now speaks in the rest of this section we're going to look at today. Joy, anxiety, and our thought lives. Areas of opportunity that will either advance or hinder our relationship with others, but especially our relationship with God. And so after this brief appeal to these ladies, after he's primed the minds of his audience with what they know is going on in the midst of them and, and trying to kind of draw to the surface the reality and the emotions that they're all feeling about this, that he does not want to foster, he changes the tone now. And with very brief, kind of snappy statements in the next few verses, he moves towards encouragement and ways to advance relationship, especially with the Lord. As he says this, verse 4 through 5, Rejoice in the Lord always, and he's not afraid to say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. There's three points in there that we're going to quickly look at in this section. The first one is this. Paul urges us to rejoice in the Lord. And he's pretty serious about it because he says it a second times here. In fact, he actually says it 16 times in the entire book of Philippians. Joy and rejoicing, one of the first casualties of conflict, is something that we are to have in the Lord. That regardless of the situations we may find ourselves in, the genuine attitude and focus that Paul's encouraging us towards is to rejoice. Now, if we're experiencing success in our lives, if, if everything's coming up just the way we want it to, everything we touch seems to be blessed, it's easy to rejoice. We've all had days like that. And you know what? We're even good when things are just kind of okay. Even on just kind of the ho-hum days, we still understand this principle of being able to rejoice. But what about when you're enduring hardship? What about moments of persecution? When, when there's perhaps a loss of security it's not so easy that the first thing we feel like doing is not rejoicing. That's a different situation. 
Now, Paul is not denying here in this section that bad things happen. He, he knows that these things exist, but he encourages us to still find the ability to rejoice in the midst of those situations. And the key to understanding this statement, the qualifier we find in the statement, is when he says we are to rejoice in what? In the Lord. You see, our joy does not come from our circumstances. It's not from the things of this world. We, we learned about this in week one, if you're with us. Or you can go back and watch that on our, our website uh, and uh, find that passage in uh, the first book of Philippians. Where week one, we learned that the word happy comes from the root word hap. And hap means chance or good luck. That's where we get also the words perhaps and happenstance. And here's the thing, we learned that first week, is that if your happiness is based upon happenstance, then your happiness is not based upon much more than luck. And we all know that that is a bit of a shaky foundation upon which to find our happiness. Because everyone, at all times, is in the same situation of either being in the midst of a crisis, coming out of a crisis... Or having a crisis just around the corner. It's part of the human condition. And if our happiness and our joy is based upon life events, strap in. Because it's going to be a roller coaster. But while life's events have their ups and downs, there is a constant. There is a constant that we can have that has enduring joy. And that's Jesus. And his never-ending love. His never-ceasing mercy his never-failing, comforting promises and the power of his presence. Uh, probably one of the most descriptive and, and profound stories I've ever heard of this is, is found in the book uh, The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom. The, the story of, of this, this girl and her family who helped uh, rescue and save Jews during World War II. And, and they were caught and they were eventually imprisoned. And she tells about how she and her sister were transferred to one of the most awful camps of all the concentration camps, one called Ravenbrook. And she tells a story about how they had crowded barracks and all the horrors around these crowded barracks they had. But one thing she mentions in particular were the fleas that they all had to endure. Just, just crowded barracks with fleas everywhere on everything and everyone. And during their morning devotions, they would intentionally try to practice rejoicing intentionally try to give thanks in all circumstances. Kind of like what Paul's saying here. And she worked really, really hard at it. And she was having some success, and she was finding the ability to be thankful for every detail, no matter how small or how difficult it was, every detail of her living quarters. But she confessed she could not be thankful for the fleas. But her sister persisted and says, no, even the fleas. Now, eventually she was able to. You know why? Because after a few months, she was surprised at how easy it was for her and others to have Bible studies and to gather together to pray in these barracks. It seemed like the guards would never come in and interrupt them and break them up. And she learned the reason was, is because the guards didn't want to catch the fleas. <laughs> so she could even become thankful for the fleas. You see, at times, we have this natural tendency to zoom in on these single elements, these, these single aspects of happenstance and our joy becomes kind of fleeting but at the same time we miss the bigger picture because there's always so much more going on 
God is always still in control, and there's a bigger narrative that we are in the midst of that we may not always fully understand. And when we take that step back and start to say, you know what, God, you are still in control of this, you are in this, we can find in every situation an opportunity to rejoice. Not in the moment necessarily, the situation, but rejoice in the Lord, as Paul says. But what about that second encouragement he gives us in verse 5? He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, the word gentleness doesn't resonate with everybody equally. We, we define it differently sometimes. Uh, we hear the word gentleness, we might think of things like tenderness and softness and being mild. Those are accurate synonyms for gentleness. But, but here, the word carries more of a meaning of moderation, of restraint. Uh, more specifically, a willingness to forego retaliation. I'm sure as Paul's writing this, he still has in his mind, and his audience has in their mind, the, the challenges that exist between Yodi and Syntyche. Both feel right. Both feel justified in whatever the issue was and the different stances they have been taking. And both feel that however they're responding to the other person is appropriate. We can relate to this feeling as well without even knowing the situation they are going through. I, I'm sure all of us have had one Sunday afternoon, we're just having a nice casual drive down the Anthony Hendy. It's a beautiful sunny day, got the cruise control set, enjoying our time, and suddenly, guy cuts in front of you. Moment of decision. We're going to wave at him, but do we use one finger or do we use five fingers as we choose to wave at this guy? You know, and even in those situations where we feel like maybe we have grounds to react in a certain fashion, Paul here is reminding us we have a choice. We have a choice. We can pause for a moment. We have a choice how we're going to respond. And he encourages us to show Christ-like consideration for others. Well, what does Christ-like consideration for others look like in those sorts of moments? Well, in one of the letters that Peter wrote, he kind of tells us. He tells us how we're supposed to show Christ-like consideration, how we're supposed to show gentleness when things are unfair, when, when things are unjust in our lives. And he lifts up Jesus as the example. We find this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, where he says, when they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Here's the interesting thing. In Peter's example, he talks about how Jesus entrusted himself to the Lord who judges justly. He says Jesus appealed to the presence of the Father. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, the basis of us showing gentleness, of showing restraint, of responding with Christ-like consideration is why? Because the Lord is near. Paul also appeals to the presence of the Father as the reason, the basis for which we are to show this. So stop and think about that for a minute, that phrase, the Lord is near. That means that right where you are sitting right now, whatever you are going through in this moment or, or in these past days, whatever thoughts are dominating your life, whatever feelings you're experiencing in these moments, in the midst of all of that, whether you're at a high point or a low point, the truth is the same. The Lord is near. 
And this is especially important to remember and to focus upon when we are going through moments where gentleness does not come as easily to us. When there are people in our lives or situations we're enduring that require more effort if we're going to actually show this gentleness. But as we read in James chapter 4, verse 8, he tells us, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. You see, we can strengthen, we could advance our relationship with Jesus in these manners by rejoicing and trusting in him always. And if we can do that, when we can lean into that, when we can grow in those ways, we will find that it is hard to not rejoice. Because remember that the Lord is near in all things. And here's another thing about the presence of the Lord. And as Paul continues in this passage, it leads us into a third appeal. When we remember that the Lord is near, it helps us to not be anxious about anything. Here's what he says, beginning in uh, verse 6. This is a beloved passage by many people quoted at many different times. In chapter 4, verse 6, we read this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God. And if we do that, He goes on in verse 7 to say, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. Here at West Meadows, we are actually in a partnership with an organization that does an online ministry. That What that ministry is, is if people go to a a search engine like like Google, and they type in certain words, keywords, they'll be drawn to to a video or to an article that will hopefully speak into that challenge that they're having. And at the end of the video, they have an opportunity to click on a link that will take them to a live person who will chat with them and help them. And and that live person, for anybody in the Edmonton area, is people from here at West Meadows. And at times I've had the opportunity, and other people on staff have had the opportunity to actually connect with some of these people from the community who are struggling and have been brought into contact with us. Well, ever since COVID-19 has hit, we have been receiving daily, regular hits and contacts from the community who are searching for things on the internet that they are worried about. That's causing them anxiety. The top top searches that we're finding right now are people who are concerned about relational issues, not unrelated to what we're talking about here today a little bit. In, In particular, also people who are struggling with divorce and thoughts of divorce. Another of the top three are people who are just riddled with fear just this lack of uncertainty for what the days ahead hold. And, and the top search we're finding is around loss. Issues of job loss, but also the loss of loved ones. See, many of us have very real worries in our lives. These all relate to things like our health, our, our future, our safety, the finances for us and our families, our freedoms we're worried about at times. We all know this feeling of of worry and anxiety to some degree. At at times, some of us a little more than others. And and if we're honest, at times, some of us will allow our worry and anxiety to kind of spiral downwards and we start playing the the what-if game. Well, what if this? And then what if this? And then what if this? And we end up actually being anxious about things that aren't even happening in our lives. We want to be be careful of that. uh, Sir Winston Churchill once said and told a story of a man he knew 
He said this, he says, when I look back in all the worries, I remember the story of an old man who was on his deathbed and said that he had had a lot of trouble in his life, but most of which never actually happened. So we want to be careful of that sort of a stance. But at other times, at other times, we have very real experiences in our lives, things that are beyond our control, and the natural response is anxiety. For example, if you're about to undergo triple bypass heart surgery, it is normal to have the emotion of anxiety. It's one way that our bodies are created to warn us and our loved ones that we may be in danger. So anxiety exists in all of our lives in different situations. And one of the best examples we see of this in Scripture is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. On that very night in which he would be arrested, he would be tried, he would be brutally beaten, and eventually killed. Because he was fully divine, he knew what was ahead of him. But also, he was fully human. And so he experienced life through that human nature. And did Jesus experience worry and anxiety that night? You bet he did. He experienced it to a great extent. His experience was so great, in fact, that in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says that his sweat became like drops of blood. This is an actual medical condition where blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture. And instead of sweat coming out of those, blood comes out instead. And what is the cause of this? What is the medically diagnosed cause of this? Stress and anxiety is what causes it. But what was his response in the midst of this incredibly difficult moment? How did he deal with it? Well, he turned to his father in prayer. We read in verse 42, 43 of Luke 22, he prays, Father, if you are willing, as he expresses his distress, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. You see, he had a a realistic understanding of the peril that he was in. But he also knew the Lord is near. And it brought comfort to him. It built him up to endure what was ahead of him. Now, I don't know about you, but my natural tendency quite often is to first of all try to fix things myself. And when that doesn't work, I start to look beyond myself for a solution. And, and I think that's a common situation for lots of people. It's where we get this phrase, well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray. Please, don't ever say that phrase. Because if we say that phrase, we've got the whole thing backwards. Because you see, if we heed Paul's words here, prayer is not our last resort. Prayer is to be our first and primary plan of attack. Why? Because the Lord is near and all the power of heaven is available to you. So why would we not go there first? And that's why we can pray with thankfulness. Because we have the privilege that regardless of what is going on, we can present that petition before God, who is the creator, the sustainer of all things, who knows you, who cares for you, who loves you, and who promised in verse 7 of this passage that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts. It will guard your minds in Jesus Christ. Have you ever experienced that peace in your life? That peace of God that transcends understanding. 
You know, these are things that we pray for people often who are struggling, going through, like those who are online searching for challenges with relationships or, or fear or loss. These are the words we often pray for them, that God would guard their hearts and that they would experience peace that surpasses understanding. What we're saying here, what Paul's telling us here, is that this is more than just a psychological state of mind. He's talking here about a deep inner tranquility that is based upon God. It doesn't mean we won't shed tears. It doesn't mean we won't sweat blood. It doesn't mean we'll be freed from a broken heart. But it is couched in this mystery that goes beyond human comprehension where if you look at the chaos going on around you, when your senses tell you one thing, inside, deep down, you feel another thing because you feel peace. When we pray with thanksgiving, we feel that peace because it turns our attention from the anxiety and the happenstance around us to the constant of Jesus Christ. When we pray with thanksgiving, we are placing our hand in his and we're experiencing his peace. We're experiencing the security of his presence and we are experiencing the fact that he stands guard over us, that he protects us, and he provides us. And then, yes, in those situations, if we can do those things, our relationship with Jesus Christ cannot help but be strengthened. We cannot help but rejoice and trust in him when we draw near to him and find that he draws near to us. And we then can experience the peace of his presence. Amen? Amen. But there's one final area of concern that Paul presents here. There's yet another way that we can either advance or hinder our relationship and our experience of Jesus Christ. And that's in our thought life. We've talked about joy. We've talked about anxiety and worry. And now we move to our thought life. I'm going to guess that you've probably heard a couple familiar saints. One of them being garbage in, garbage out. What does that mean? Well, it refers to this idea that whatever you put into your body is kind of what you're going to be made of and what's going to come out of your body. Sometimes this is used to talk about you look like what you eat, where if you eat a lot of donuts, you'll look like a donut. If you eat a lot of celery, you'll look like celery. I'm not sure what happens if you eat a lot of potatoes. Maybe you end up on the couch watching football and you become a couch potato. Perhaps. Garbage in, garbage out. Another saying, monkey see, monkey do. You've probably heard my mom say that at some point in life. The idea here being is that whatever you are exposed to influences your thoughts. It influences, therefore, your speech and your actions. And Paul, knowing the importance of our thought life, urges us to set our minds upon the right things, to allow the right things to influence us. And we read about this in verse 8. When he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Now that can be hard to do in the world that we live in. Because if we go out into the public, we are just inundated with images and messages and influence in the world all around us. From TV to newspapers to the newsstands to films to advertising, all sorts of messaging seeking to guide our thoughts in a particular direction that they want us to go. 
And it's not hard to assume that we're going to be tempted by many of these things. And to avoid that temptation, if we take inventory of the world around us, it's very easy to quickly assume that there is nothing worthy of our attention in the world around us. But I want to caution you about that. You see, if that's the conclusion that we arrive at, the natural response that many people in history have chosen is to cloister in their homes, to, to cloister in their churches and just lock the doors, to avoid relationships with those in the outside world, to, to not be in the world, to separate ourselves from it. And here's the challenge with that. Here's why I want to caution you with that. Because it's pretty difficult to invite other people to experience a life that's better with Jesus by living out his grace, truth, and love if we are living in isolation. But also, I think that's a different message than what Paul has for us here. Because consider the way that he presents this particular verse. He uses the word repeatedly, whatever. This idea that whatever is good or lovely or pure. Giving us the idea that there are sources of goodness all around us. And it's there. If we look for it and see it through, perhaps through the eyes of the Lord, we will be able to understand that there is goodness all around us if we look for it. But for my own life, I was processing this as I was preparing for this message, thinking, well, where do I see these things in the world around me? I thought, you know, when I open the scriptures, when I open my Bible, I see truth. When I think of the mentors that God has brought into my life, I see people of noble character. When I see us on a weekly basis serving people through the food bank, I think that is right for us to be doing. When I think about the granddaughter we're expecting in August, I am filled with pure delight. When I look at Nadine, I see this feeling of of just loveliness. When I encounter somebody who has overcome an addiction, is getting their life back on track, I say, that is admirable. And when I think of God's provision to you and to us here at West Meadows and how he has used you so powerfully to bless us during this time of COVID-19, that is excellent and praiseworthy. See, as I list off these examples, I hope that it kindles a belief within you. I hope it kindles a desire in your heart to see the world around you and see that there is good in the world around us. Uh, Perhaps you can already start to feel the cleansing power of allowing these sorts of things to come into our hearts and our minds. That these are the things that we think about. Not not the other messages the world offers to us, but the things that we can observe that are glorifying and honoring to God. And where we can see his fingerprints on all the events and the creation of the world around us. And if we can allow our minds to be cleansed and to find power in thinking about these things, then we're able to also put them into practice. Which is what verse 9 says when Paul finishes this passage by saying, Whatever you have learned or received, whatever you've heard from me, whatever you've seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. In this final verse, Paul offers himself up yet again as one to emulate. Not because of who he is. Not because of what he has accomplished. 
but only because he strives to follow Jesus Christ. Because he strives to invest in building up his relationship with Jesus Christ, to experience joy, to experience freedom from anxiety, to experience the nearness of God, and to control his thought life. Four times in his letters, twice in Corinthians, once last week in Philippians, and now this week again in Philippians, he uses a phrase along the lines of, follow me as I follow Christ. Whatever you've learned from his example, whatever you've received from his teachings, whatever you've seen in his conduct, if they are founded in Christ, if they can be tested against Scripture, then they are worthy to be put into practice. Why? Because they are founded in Christ. And therefore, they are true. They are noble. They are right. They are pure. They are lovely. They're admirable. They are excellent. And they certainly are praiseworthy. You know, throughout this letter, Paul's been encouraging us to stand strong in the Lord, to press in and to build that relationship that he wants to have with us and that we can have with him. And one of the overarching purposes and reasons that, that he lean, wants us to lean towards these things is going back to one of the key verses we saw in week one, in, in verse, uh, chapter one, verse 27, where Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to see this realized in our lives, it's not going to happen on its own. It's going to require our effort. It's going to require commitment. It's going to require us to invest in our relationship with Jesus. But here's what I'm telling you from what Paul is telling us. Is that if we invest in that relationship with Jesus Christ, we will experience joy in all situations. If we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us and we will not be plagued with anxiety because we will sense the peace of his presence. And if we will control our thoughts, our thoughts will therefore impact our words and our actions, and we will conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul in this passage throws out kind of a mixed bag of appeals. All of them are powerful. All of them are effective for your life. Are you struggling with any of these individually? Are you struggling with joy? Just have a hard time finding joy in your heart? Maybe you're dominated by anxiety. Just the situations of the world around you or even within your own home or life right now is leading to a lot of anxiety. If that's the case, we want to pray for you. You can just click right below me and you can enter into a private moment of prayer with somebody who just wants to enter into that situation with you and, and, and help you come before God and draw near to God that he may draw near to you. I want to invite you to consider doing that. We've been talking a lot today about this relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's possible that you're listening to this and you don't actually have that personal relationship yet. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you. I want to tell you, you can take that step so that you can experience the joy and the freedom and the peace of having him in your life. Because Jesus loves you. See, Jesus came to pay the price for your sins, the sins that separate us from this relationship that we can have with him. And he paid that price by giving his life upon the cross, which I, I referred to earlier today. And, and by paying that sacrifice, giving his life that you may have life, he made the way. He made the way that we can be together with him today and for all of eternity. God honored and blessed that sacrifice by raising him victoriously 
from the grave. And he now stands there freely offering this gift of forgiveness to anyone who wants it. But like any gift that anybody has ever been offered, we don't truly take ownership of it until we choose to receive it, until we choose to make it our own. And that's what we read about in the Bible when it says, if you will declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there's this assurance as well, is that anyone who believes will never be put to shame, will never be put to shame when they stand before the Father because they will be the blessed children of the living God. If you want to experience in your life right now, you too can click on that prayer button below me or simply join me in a word of prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these words that, that we, can, we can press into, for these instructions that while they may not be written directly to us, they were written for us, Lord. And we can find truth in them for our lives and our relationships today. God, I pray that those who are lacking joy would, would just have a moment right now or would have an encounter in these very near moments where they would just feel this presence of the Lord being drawing, drawing near to them and uplifting their spirits. God, I pray for those who are struggling with anxiety that, that you would just speak powerfully as, as the angel came and, and ministered to Jesus in the garden, that you, Lord, would come and minister to them in their moments right now. That peace that doesn't make any sense in the world, but makes sense in the name of Christ would descend upon them. And I pray, Lord, those who, who have pressed into the wrong messages in their lives and are not focusing upon those things which are God-worthy and admirable would, would find a, a way to, to have the cleansing power of Christ come over them. That they could focus upon those things which are good within your creation and within the world around us and our relationships and our churches and the Word of God that that would just wash over them right now, that they would find themselves being impacted towards greater pure acts of, of joy and kindness and love as we invite people to experience a life that is better with you. And I do that right now, Lord. I invite people to experience a life that is better with you. For anybody who has not accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, I invite you right now just to pray with me, to say thank you, Jesus, for praying, paying the price for my sins. I believe that you are God's son, the only one worthy to accomplish making freedom possible in my life. I believe you accomplished that when you gave your life upon the cross. And I believe that it was honored and, and sufficient as you were raised victorious on the third day. As you gave your life for me, I now give you mine. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to thank you for being with us today. And if there's anything stirring in your heart and your mind, and again, I just want to remind you to hit that prayer button again. We are here for you. Or even throughout the week, if something happens, remember that we are still in the church office. The staff is here. would love to meet with you, to talk with you, to chat with you online if that's more comfortable for you. But we're here for you. And we remind you as well, finally, as we close today, that when you draw near to the Lord, he draws near to you. May that bring you joy. May that bring you peace. May that be the pure thoughts that just permeate your heart, mind, and soul. And may that propel you this week, that as we stay safe, we would stay safe proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We'll see you next Sunday at 10 a.m. for West Meadows at Home.